Welcome to Dangerous Words, a three-part podcast series investigating the student narratives around hate speech here on Harvard campus. In the first episode, we survey the students' attitudes and understandings about hate speech and the ways in which hate speech can manifest itself in student life. In the second and third episodes, we dive into two high-profile cases of hate speech-related incidents that happened on campus and how students had received, grappled with, and mitigated the harms of these incidents. There are few topics that are as divisive or pressing to college students as hate speech. On campuses all over the country and all around the world, students are joining important conversations about what it means to create a welcoming, safe environment for students of all identities to academically participate. Indeed, students are concerned about the threat that hate speech poses to such an environment. A survey by the Knight Foundation reveals that the percentage of college students who felt uncomfortable due to a comment made about their identity rose from 25% to 38% from 2017 to 2019. Yet, despite these concerns, it seems as though students often fail to agree on a common definition of hate speech. A couple of folks on campus share what they understand hate speech to mean. The way that I kind of work with the idea of hate speech is that hate speech is speech directed at someone for a part of their identity that causes them to experience harm, whether or not it was intended. Yeah, so this is an issue that's definitely talked about a lot, I think, in you know school spaces and college spaces, you know, and the general understanding of hate speech is like, you know, I hate this group. Uh, and I think that they're terrible, and the use of slurs especially. Well, hate speech to me is speech that creates a hostile or unsafe environment for people, particularly based on like um, like sociocultural things and things like that, um, such as like ethnicity, race, religion, gender, sexual orientation, etc. Many students' definitions hone in on a common aspect the notion of targeting an individual's membership in a marginalized group. This is consistent with the traditional definition of hate speech. The United Nations defines hate speech as offensive discourse targeting a group or an individual based on inherent characteristics such as race, religion, or gender. David O'Brink, a political philosopher at the University of California, San Diego, defines hate speech as speech which employs discriminatory epithets to insult and stigmatize others on the basis of their race, gender, sexual orientation, or other forms of group membership. However, some students also point to the nuanced nature of hate speech. So, um, I think that hate speech, for me, is usually speech that attacks a socially salient group, I would say, with less power, like women, LGBTQ plus community, people of color, or people with disabilities. But in my experience, it can also be speech that sort of divides the group by attacking some members, but not others. Like for Muslim women, a lot of women are attacked based on whether or not they choose to wear the hijab. And that kind of 
policing of women's expression can spread a hateful message, I would say. These remarks capture a phenomenon referred to in the literature as intradivisional hate speech. That is, speech that does not target all members of a group, but rather the members of the group that they deem to be bad members. Philosopher Louise Richardson Self describes how intradivisional misogyny divides women into good and bad women, which serves to bring all women down. She ultimately argues that such nuanced instances of speech still ought to count as hate speech, even if it does not target an entire group. By now, we have heard about how students on paper define and conceptualize hate speech. While these definitions converge on a common understanding, we also observe how their definitions can be nuanced and elusive. But how does all this actually play out in student life and campus culture? Here, we ask students to weigh in on the real-life manifestations of hate speech at Harvard. It can be anything from small microaggressions, things people overhear in public spaces and conversations they may not be a part of if they don't get the context. It can be over social media, you know, anonymously or not if people are texting things or posting things. In, like, academic settings, um, and in like classrooms, there is one kind of speech and one kind of register that is more common. And then, you know, in like at parties and at final clubs, um, you would hear another register. And, you know, um, you might hear like a lot more use of slurs and like outright homophobia in like a setting of like a bunch of drunken college students. Um, but, you know, in classrooms and stuff, I don't think you generally hear that. And instead, um, you hear a lot of people playing devil's advocate. I mean, a lot of it is just in like, you know, conversation or normal like discourse or whatever. I guess you could also find it like on the internet, um, like, you know, like people posting on the internet. Um, I, I know that sometimes professors might go a little bit far in speaking. Sometimes, I don't know if they, if I would call it hate speech, but it definitely, I think, can kind of create an unsafe environment. Many students also identify specific hate speech related events or organizations on campus. This includes a homophobic incident at the beginning of the fall 2022 semester in which a group of LGBTQ plus students and staff at Harvard received violent threats via anonymous emails. Containing multiple homophobic slurs, the message perpetuated hateful anti-gay narratives that queer people at Harvard are brainwashing children. Megan, the assistant director of the Office of LGBTQ Student Life, describes the student and staff reaction. President Backhouse sent out an email earlier this year about um, a threatening email that was received by some student groups on campus, as well as some employees and one employee resource group. Um, so I would definitely say having seen that email, that is certainly hate speech. Um, I think that President Bacow was right to not amplify the message of the email that was sent to folks. And I also understand that that then led to some confusion and fear among students who had not seen the email because they were able to kind of write their own narrative about what that email contained. The homophobic emails represent an instance of overtly hateful, pejorative messaging 
that directly derogates a marginalized community at Harvard. Larry Bacow, the president of Harvard University, instantly denounced the incident in a university-wide email as profoundly disturbing and inconsistent with university values. However, more often than not, hate speech at Harvard is not so overtly expressed. Oliver explains how hateful sentiments are often disguised or justified as religious or intellectual practice. In religious spaces, um, I do experience a form of speech that is polite uh, and very, you know, kind sounding, but also homophobic and transphobic. Um, you know, there was a, an instance early on in the semester where uh, HCFA, Harvard College Faith in Action, held an event where a gay speaker came in and essentially said, if you are gay, God wants you to be celibate. Um, and if, and he was sort of careful in the way that he said this, he was very kind of equivocal and very, but essentially, if you are gay and not celibate and you don't repent, then you will go to hell. And he also said within that same talk, um, that it is very important not to use hate speech. I don't think he used the term hate speech, but he said like, you know, uh, shouting against gay people and using offensive language and trying to hurt them and, you know, saying all sorts of homophobic and, and terrible and cruel and hurtful things to gay people is bad and wrong and you shouldn't do it um, because God wants us to be loving and God wants us to um, extend um, compassion to gay people. And I would argue that, you know, what that guy was saying in that speech was in some ways just as harmful as if he had gone up there and said something that was that more traditionally fit the definition of hate speech. Oliver goes on to describe how many instances of hate speech on campus are often passed off as an exercise of intellectual freedom and right. But they will say, you know, in the marketplace of ideas, or they will say, nothing should be off limits in free speech. Um, and, you know, the, the use of free speech as a way of saying, I should be allowed to say whatever I want, is very common. Um, I don't think that's entirely, I think that there is a difference between like freedom of expression um, and like freedom of saying anything you want in any way, like, just like shouting a homophobic slur at somebody is not the expression of a belief or an opinion. Like that kind of thing is intended to wound um, and intended to be like socially harmful. And I don't think that falls in the same category of like free expression and you know free speech that is protected under the constitution. But I do think that that's the way it's often framed, as like free speech means that I can say and do whatever I want. And in the art of framing hateful speech as free expression, no student organization is more notorious than the salient. Um, and also like the salient, uh, <laughs> like not to completely just like point out one organization, but I do consider the salient hate speech. I think that, um, I think there's a difference between free speech and like hate speech. The time of the affirmative action hearings on campus that had a lot of 
students who were first gen uh, non-white students, um, there was also something going on surrounded from in the salient that targeted trans students. So these students are kind of experiencing hate speech from multiple angles. The Salient is a student-run conservative publication that describes themselves as a platform for the free exchange of ideas with intellectual honesty and rigor. But despite their self-proclaimed ideals of open debate and fearless pursuit of truth, their articles are authored under obscure Greek pseudonyms and distributed under the radar at night. In the past, Harvard students have found articles in the Salient racist, homophobic, transphobic, classist, and misogynistic albeit in subtle ways. In the recent issue, salient authors described drag shows as sexually inappropriate dancing and equated race-based affirmative action to a game of victimhood and identity. Perhaps most disturbingly, one salient author wrote an article condemning a fund helping transgender students socially transition as inappropriate allocation of funding. The article calls social transitioning gender explorations of a small minority. However, even without the explicit use of transphobic language, the article elicited a dramatic reaction from students. One student speaks out against the article in a dormitory-wide mailing list, describing the article as a transphobic article that passes off hateful rhetoric as journalism. It seems that hate speech, in both its overt and subtle form, never fails to generate significant narratives around identity-based harm. So what then can college administrators, faculty, and students do to curtail some of these harms caused by hate speech on campus? Elise speaks about the role that safe identity-based spaces can play in alleviating and unpacking the hurt and confusion that students experience following these incidents. Um. I think affinity groups and spaces can be a great place for students to talk about the complex emotional response, I would say, when you're a recipient of hate speech. I think that's the approach Harvard tends to take, at least. Uh, students come together to like see community, unity, and shared experience. Like in the Society of Arab Students at Harvard, they create a very comforting space um, when there are hateful or triggering events sometimes. It sort of lets you uh, know the support and love within the community is greater than the hate against it. However, he notes that campus leaders should also play a more proactive rather than reactionary role in mitigating hate speech harms. But to be honest, uh, this kind of reactionary response to these incidents doesn't really always solve the issue. I see all these deans and stuff holding reflection spaces, quote unquote, or discussion circles, or whatever when students get hurt. Like when they found the racist fireplace in Adams, they had one, and I'm pretty sure they had one also when Winthrop had to cancel their Harry Potter themed dinner because students thought JK Rowling is transphobic. I just think in many of these cases, the harm to the community has already been done. So instead, the leaders should try to have uh, more stringent house policies to stop folks getting hurt in the first place. Megan offers her perspective as one such campus leader. She speaks to the limitations of placing the burden on one office alone to eradicate hate speech on campus. When harm is experienced by the community, it, not, it should not be on us 
or on the community, and in my case, the community of students in particular, to fix the harm or ha- like try and guarantee or promise that it will never happen again. I don't think that we can erase bigotry on campus in one person's lifetime as much as I wish that we could. So I do think it is unfair for any one group on campus, including like President Beckow's office, to be tasked with eradicating hate speech because it is one of the ways in which Harvard is not separate from the world. On that note, we see the ways in which the task to eradicate hate speech on college campuses also interplays with outside forces beyond the school gates. With a student demographic as diverse as Harvard, it is hardly surprising that students bring with them an array of assumptions and beliefs that color the way they narrate issues of hate speech. And all throughout this episode, we have seen the ways in which these narratives may then be amplified or nuanced by the existing campus culture. Thank you for listening to episode one of Dangerous Words. Next time, we dive into a high-profile case of hate speech on Harvard's campus. Thank you.